want to welcome you this morning as uh, you tune in today. We are coming towards the end of our sermon series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, today we're going to look at a sermon dealing with the pillar of foundation when we understand what it's like to be the soldier of Christ. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6, I believe the Lord will greatly bless your heart from this message. As we've been going through this sermon series in Ephesians, we've been looking at the fundamental pillars of our faith and uh, how it all took place at the doorstep of the great temple Diana and how today uh, there's only one little old pillar left uh, of that original temple uh, that stood there. It was something that was so magnificent in not its religion but in its architectural design and, and human building and all of that, that it, um, that that temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And today there's only one little scrawny pillar left. And today, that's kind of how a lot of people's lives are in Christ. There's just one little scrawny evidence that they used to be a believer. Ask people about where they are in their relationship with Christ, and many of them will say, well, I used to go to church. And if people used to go to church, then that's pretty much the extent of their relationship. Today, you, you hear there's a couple of very popular catchphrases. I used to go to church or I need to get back in church. And those two catchphrases will really get you high and leave you low. If church is all you're basing your relationship with Christ on, it's kind of like cotton candy. It's sweet to the taste, but you don't even have to chew and it disappears. Can I get a witness? And that's why people will say, I used to be in church. Or I need to get back in church because there's no substance. The same way that many of you got on a vehicle or you, you climbed in a vehicle or you climbed on a motorcycle or, or a bus or however you got here today or, or you walked here and you put your shoes on. Whatever was your mode of transportation was, was the, the vehicle in which you arrived at the place where you could meet with Christ. And church is nothing more, denominations are nothing more than a vehicle in which God uses to get us to the place where we can have an intervention with a thrice holy God that will turn our broken life that is inside out right side in and standing upright and in a right relationship with Christ. And today, if we're going to make it through the white waters and the rapids of life, then we better be anchored to something more than church. You better be anchored to something more than a, than a, a, a parachurch ministry. You better be anchored to the rock. You better have the fundamental principles of our guiding faith of Jesus Christ that you are building your foundation on. Or I'm going to tell you, the waters of life will sweep you away and one day you will say, I used to go to church. Many of you today are trying to put forth that right relationship with Christ. You're trying to make it. You're hard-pressed on every side. So how do I be victorious? Well, we've looked at what the seven pillars were and, and, uh, and how each one of them, if you could stand on each one of these pillars through the book of Ephesians, that your life would be able to count for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today we come to the sixth one. 
And last week that pillar was the bride. That you had to understand that you were the bride of Christ. And if you were the bride of Christ, then you were the bride of somebody. And if you understood what all that encompassed, how it gave you so much more strength in your life. And today it goes a little bit deeper. That you have to understand that one of the six, the sixth pillar of your faith, if you're going to make it, is you got to understand not only are you the bride of Christ, not only you are a new man, you are a soldier. You are a soldier in the army of the Lord. You are a soldier. You are a warrior. And contrary to popular preaching and theology today, if you give your heart to Jesus, you will have struggles. If you give your heart to Jesus, you will not be immune from tribulation. Matter of fact, it says those who are in Christ shall suffer tribulation. Did you know there's five wheels, five, five specific wheels of God for your life? Five. You may want to jot these down. You, people always say, man, am I in the will of God? And i got to figure out the will of God. There are five specific wills in his word for you. It's in my message, so you got to get it quick. Number one, it's God's will that none should perish but all be saved. It's God's will that you be born again. It's God's will that you be filled with the Spirit. It's God's will that you be sanctified, which is a dressed-up word for set aside for the reason God created you. It's God's will, number four, that you be submissive. It, did you submit to the Holy Spirit? Do you submit to those who have rule over you? Boy, I know we don't like that one. And I tell you what, you're sure not going to like number five. It's God's will that you suffer. Hey, if you want to talk about those in detail, I'll be glad to come over for some lemon pie or something and a cup of coffee. And Man, we can dive into that. But those are five specific things that God says he has in store for his children. If Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, suffered, then why in the world do we feel like we're exempt from tribulation? The Bible says you will be hard-pressed. It didn't say you may be. It says you will be. But when you are hard-pressed on every side, you will not be crushed. There's some things that are easier to preach and harder to live, and that's one of them. It's hard to carry that weight. And in this passage of in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, look with me if you would in, in verse 10. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Underline that in your Bible, if you will, so that you can stand. Not crawl, not kneel, not cower, not slip off. So that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against rulers, the authorities, against the world's powers of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Wow, this thing unfolds. He says, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist. That word resist right here in the Greek translates stand. So that you will be able to stand in the evil day. Having prepared everything 
to take your stand. There it is again. Stand, stand, stand. I think, I think they're trying to teach us something here. How about you? So that you may be able to stand. It's like one old preacher I heard when I was a boy. He said, you need to wake up and pray that God will give you ribs like a, like a, a, a cross stye. Like a, a backbone like saw logs. So that you may be able to be victorious in Jesus Christ. So that you won't be some noodle spined Christian that just wiggles and squirms his way out of every crowd. Well, am I a drinker today? Well, it depends on what crowd I'm in. Am I against drinking? It depends on what crowd I am in. I mean, just it just it just just bends and the God did not create you to be bendable to the changing culture, but he created you to stand. And the only people that can stand against all the tactics of the enemy, all the forces of darkness, are those who are firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm says, the psalmist said in chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. For at that point, he will be like the tree planted by the living waters. He shall not be moved. When they came up with that old song a long time ago that says, Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Anchor in Jehovah, I shall not be moved. It didn't mean that you wouldn't get up and go do evangelism and love on the broken and heal the, and, and give hope to the damned and bring peace to those in turmoil. No, it meant that when you're in the middle of turmoil, when you're in the middle of strife, when you're in the middle of the war, you will stand. Why are so many people used to be believers why is the decline in our churches why are our churches in such a great decline why is it that just that 80 percent of the churches across denominational lines is in decline today i'll tell you why because they've had a lot of weak preaching They've had a lot of intellectual stimulation, but they've not had the preaching of the Word of God that will give them the strength to make it through the tribulation in life. They've had people that say, if you will think good thoughts, if you will pray good thoughts, if you will meditate on good things, it'll all be okay. No, sir. No, ma'am. I tell you that if you decide to walk with God, the enemy is coming after you. He has your name on his refrigerator. And every day, if you are impacting the kingdom of darkness... And you are taking babies from the orphanage of hell and transferring them into the orphanage of heaven which becomes the royal palace for the orphans of the world. I am telling you that if you are personally on a mission to make a difference for the glory of God, Satan is on a mission to take you down. But I want you to know something today. Write this down. Write it in your Bible. Write it on your hand. Write it where it reminds you every day. You're not for it fighting from for the victory. You're fighting from it. You're not trying to conquer the devil. The devil was conquered 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. It's not your authority to wake up and overcome Satan. Satan was overcome by the blood of the Lamb and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, it's your job to wake up every day and resist the devil. The Bible says so that you will be able to resist the devil, to resist the devil. The devil's not coming to you in the morning with the little horns on his head, with a little pointed tail and a pitchfork 
far. He's not coming to you and breathing smutty breath on you every day. No, he's coming in the appearance of a friend. He's coming in the appearance of a co-worker. He may be coming in the appearance of a spouse. He may be coming in the appearance of a child that is coming against you and trying to distract you and take you down. When you're waging warfare, understand that you're not waging war against somebody. But it's the principality that is controlling that somebody. I am telling you that we were all created in the image of God, but we were born in sin. There's not one person except Jesus Christ that's ever been born of a woman that wasn't born in sin. Now the difference is, the difference is, that we've been redeemed. And after redemption, after redemption, our battle is not against people, but against the principality that controls people. Now, I, the, guys, this is easy preaching, but it's hard to live. I mean, because sometimes you just want to be like David in the book of Psalms and just go over there and grab hold of somebody and knock their teeth out. Amen. Don't look super spiritual at me. I know you've been there. I mean, sometimes we just want to be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I laid hands on them by the hair of the head. I began to jerk the hair out of their head. I, when they began to try to take down the people of God, I laid hold of the hair of their head. I laid holy hands on them. Amen? But the Bible says you're not fighting against those people, but against the wickedness that controls them, against the spirit of greed or the spirit of adultery or the spirit of fornication or the spirit of lust or whatever that spirit is they're all good-willed people but they're being pulled away by the tactics of the enemy some of you folks that are older i can got in on the tell end of it but you remember the old saying by flip wilson the devil made me do it the bible says in james the devil didn't make you do it it says you were drawn away by your own desires we went lusting. We went lusting. We were struggling. So what must you do? Well, you must know, number one, you've got to know who your enemy is. You've got to know who that enemy is. You've got to know in Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, he spells out who that enemy is very clearly. Then you've got to know how to fight this enemy. You've got to know how to fight. There's some fighting that just doesn't make good sense because everybody loses. You remember back in the day, if you ever watched any movies from any of the, the wars in, in the late 1800s, I mean, they would just line up in a straight line. And there'd be a line behind them and a line behind and it just went all the way back. And the other team would line up, the other country would line up, the enemy would line up. And I mean, it was clearly marked who the enemy was because they were all lined up. Now, now the devil's not going to line up all his troops and come after you so that the enemy is clearly defined. Now, now that may have been a noble way of fighting wars, but it wasn't a very smart one. And they would just line up, and they would just begin to march, and they would just shoot. And, and then this guy on this side would die, and, oh, Lord, it's the guy behind him. It's his turn to be on the front line. 
And they would just keep marching and firing and marching and firing until they got so close and the ones that was left would then go to hand-to-hand combat with the bayonets and would begin to stab people. And they would just have this, this turmoil right there. But the enemy was clearly defined. They knew how to use their weapons and they marched towards the head-on collision of conflict. Now, we must know that our enemy is not clearly defined. Matter of fact, it's, 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 um, it's said that uh, one of the, the reasons of the great struggle with the war in Iraq that we fought was because the enemy was not clearly defined. They didn't have on uniforms that said, I'm with Saddam Hussein. They didn't have on uniforms that were clearly defined. You never knew who the enemy was. To this day, people are soldiers that are in those areas doing conflict. They never know who the enemy is. They never know what baby has a bomb strapped on them. They never know what little little donkey may be riding in a town and be loaded with explosives. The, The enemy is not clearly defined. So therefore, you must understand all the weapons of your warfare. I mean, back in the day, all you had to understand was shove the powder down the barrel pack it tight pull the trigger repack it and if you got close enough and the gun wouldn't fire use the sword on the end of it y'all picking up what i'm putting down you got to know how to use your weapons but our weapons are not carnal the bible says the bible says in second corinthians chapter 10 for know who our enemy is Our, our weapons are not carnal right here in ephesians 6 he lays these out very clearly. Matter of fact, he says it. I'll just read through him. He says, with the, like the belt of truth around your waist, like the breastplate of righteousness on your chest, like the sandals of, of, of readiness or the gospel of peace. Boy, in the middle of war, he says, there's a gospel of peace. That you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation. Now, I could spend a lot of time and go through each one of these and, <clears throat> and explain what they meant to the ancient warrior. But here's what God is saying. You be ready. Don't be half cocked. Don't let the enemy catch you off guard. But you catch the enemy off guard. Two of our greatest hits as a nation was Pearl Harbor. And our country was completely off guard. At that particular time... The attitude of our nation was a lot like it is right now. Oh, just let the whole world go. We're not going to engage in that conflict. We're okay here. We're, we're not getting in that war. But all of a sudden, while all those guys were at Pearl Harbor enjoying that day, the enemy slipped in without notice because they weren't even looking for them. For the love of all, we're, we're all the way over here. There's no way they can get to us. We're on this island. We can see them coming. you got to be looking before you can see them coming. And the second one was the attack of the Twin Towers that day. Nobody saw it coming. Before they could figure out, had this aircraft been hijacked or it just went astray, something bad happened, we was already being struck again. And by the time they figured that out, they was being struck again. And this whole thing, it caught us off guard. You've got to stand guard. You've got to know what's happening. You've got to know what's taking place. You've got to be alert. 
The Bible says in James, be alert because the devil, our adversary, is walking around seeing who can, he can devour. You remember in Job chapter 1, when the sons of God came to present themselves and the devil came also, he looked at the devil and he said, where are you coming from? Oh, just roaming to and fro, looking for somebody that I could torment. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? If there's none like him. He said, oh yeah, I've considered him many days, but you got him hedged in, I can't even get to him. The devil is on the prowl. Therefore, we must know who he, our enemy is. We must know how he works. Can I tell you today <clears throat> that the enemy will not normally attack you where you're the strongest? That's what most people think. But actually, it's the truth. That's where he will attack you. Everybody says, well, the devil's going to attack me where I'm weak. So where we're weak, we reinforce the weakness. We reinforce the weakness. Stay with me. So we know we have a weakness. We know we have a struggle. We know we have addiction or something like that. We're guarding against that so much that we just take for granted where we're strong. And so where we're strong is many times where we're attacked because there's no attention to our strength. It's all devoted to our weakness. I can't tell you how many people I know have fallen in their life, and it was where they were strong. You say, preacher, that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't in logic, but it's great in theory because where we're weak, we're constantly strengthening it. We're constantly supporting it. We're constantly doing whatever it takes to sure that up. And so much that all of our resources, all of our attention, all of our efforts are going to our weakness that we take for granted the areas of our strength. And so because we're not looking at the areas of our strength and we're taking for granted the areas of our strength, our, our stay with me, our strength then becomes an area of weakness and our weakness then becomes an area of our strength. Therefore, because we took them for granted and didn't balance them out, the enemy slipped in when we were not watching our area of strength I've had people sit in my office and say I don't know how that happened I've never struggled in that area I'll tell you how it happened you were strong in that area and you took for granted that you needed the provision of God in every area of our life that's where we're weak you got to know who your enemy is you got to know what your weapons are but you got to know that even though he goes through this list of physical things, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we're walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. You remember that? I mean, they were there to arrest Jesus, and all of a sudden, uh, I mean, they come to get him, and Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, expecting to receive a standing ovation from Jesus. He says, boy, what are you doing? Put that sword up or somebody else gets hurt. And he reaches down and heals the ear of Malchus. He says if this was about a real uh, earthly war, the angels would show up and fight for me. Our warfare is the same way. As we look at this, we have to understand that since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're powerful through God for the demolition of every stronghold. We demolish arguments. And every high-minded, lofty thing that raises its head up against the knowledge of God. Taking captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's where most people stop. 
They love that verse that says the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in pulling down those strongholds that are contrary against us. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? And I, we just all get charged up. Amen. And we load up our water pistols and begin to charge hell. But look at what the end of this verse says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in pulling down strongholds that are contrary against us, bringing into captivity every high-minded, lofty thing unto the obedience of Christ. Oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Once our obedience has been confirmed. Why are there so many people walking in defeat? Because they're living in disobedience. Can I say that again? It may take a little bit to let that settle in for a moment. <clears throat> if the victory is already ours, and if we're not fighting for the victory, we're fighting from the victory, then why are so many people defeated? Because they're not walking in obedience. You can't expect a supernatural provision upon something. that You, you can't expect a supernatural provision that is bigger than your mind can understand if you can't obey the simple things you do understand. Now, I want to say that again, because that's not popular preaching. It's not going to draw a crowd. But if we can't obey, if we can't experience the things that are bigger than what we do understand, if we can't obey the small things that we do understand, when will the things be brought into captivity when our obedience has been confirmed? Now, don't shoot the messenger. I mean, look at it on the screen right there, verse 6. And we are ready to punish. We all want some punishing. Can I get a witness? We, disobedience. Ah, oh. oh, man. This is when you wish the Bible was like Piccadilly. It could just scoop you up a scoop of punishment for disobedient people that are coming against you. But to scoop up the punishment and the victory, you've got to scoop up the obedience of the believer. Now, that's not even easy preaching because I know you don't want to hear it. And if you're sitting at home, I know you don't want to hear it either. But today, God is calling you to obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Unless we trust and obey. As we've gone through this sermon, uh, man, if God has spoken to your heart, your beginning stage is right where you are by just saying, Lord, begin a new work in my life. Lord, I repent or I come back to you and I want you to begin anew. And just pray that prayer for God to start a new work in your life. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to find a church. We would love to have you at Family of Grace become part of our family and be part of what God is doing. But, but even more than that, find a church anywhere that will believe in God's best for you and help you to achieve it. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors that made this program possible. Bayou Shirts. At Bayou Shirts, we offer quick, friendly, quality service for all your t-shirt needs. 
Check us out today at BayouShirts.com for information on all the services we can provide. Tapping Ground Coffee Shop in downtown Alexandria. If you're looking for a great place to hang out or have a break and a wonderful cup of coffee, please stop by and see Jeff and thank him for his support of our ministry. At FCA, we're touching millions one heart at a time. Since 1954, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been putting the heart and soul in sports by challenging athletes and coaches to impact the world for Jesus Christ. As the largest sports ministry in the world, FCA now reaches over 2 million people annually on the professional, college, high school, junior high, and youth levels. Through this shared passion for athletics and faith, lives are changed one heart at a time. Learn more at fca.org.